A Telltale Pod production. Blackberry Blue by Jamila Gavin. Blackberry Blue, Part 3 He didn't know how much time had passed when he found he was awake again. Not drowned, but awake. Not at the bottom of a well, but in a sweet-smelling meadow with larks trilling, as if they had somehow landed in a summer field. He could smell grass and wild rose, blackthorn and may. Muscuri lay across his chest, her body throbbing against his heart like a little engine. She wasn't drowned, she who was so terrified of water. He took a deep breath and found that the air was as sweet as honey. He listened and heard the sound of a blackbird whistling ecstatically somewhere close by. He stretched, his senses attuned, except that he was still blind. Miscuri's claws still penetrated his coat and dug into his flesh. What can you see? he whispered. It's everything, everything that people have ever wanted to see. Beauty, animals, fields of gold and white. Orchards of rosy apples, chestnuts casting wide shadows. We could just stay here forever, marvelled Muscuri, leaping off his chest. No, we can't. It's Layla we've come to find. Abu groped for the sack and clutched it close. I have to find her. This is all an illusion to defeat us. Muscuri? No answer. Only silence. Miscuri, where are you? Your little friend has left you, said a voice so enticing, so dark. A woman's voice, replete with kindness and helpfulness. Come with me, dear boy. Wake up. Open your eyes and see what a lovely place you have found. Abu would have looked and looked if he could. Oh, how I wish I could see you, he wept, so full of longing to peer into the face above him, for this was surely the voice of an angel, full of comfort and reassurance, but the ointment kept him blind. Soft fingers prized open his eyes. Look at me, dear boy, the voice enticed him, and indeed his eyelids parted, but he saw nothing. When only blank eyeballs stared sightlessly up, the angel gave a terrible screech. The gentle fingers turned to claws. The stupid boy is blind! All the loving kindness was now replaced by fury, and he felt nails scratching his face like some dreadful bird. Well, if I can't have you, I'll just have to leave you to the image, Snatcher! The angel screamed. Come! And Abu heard a snuffling and slathering of hounds. 
and he knew that it was the purple lady who had bent over him. He heard a car's engine roar to life, and she was gone. Apple! Soft fur brushed across his face. Miss Gorey, thank goodness you're here! There are eyes everywhere, Miss Gorey whispered. I see eyes in the trunks of trees and eyes peeping through the grass, eyes staring down from the sky like stars, and eyes among the pebbles on the lake shore. I see blue eyes, green eyes, and grey eyes, and eyes as black as jet. To look into those eyes is to look into people's souls. I see so much sadness and gladness, goodness and badness. Oh, Abu, this is a dreadfully wondrous place. The bones on his back began to moan. Sing, Layla, sing, he begged. Tell us when we are close to your eyes. The bones set up a rattling and clattering. Look, 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 they chanted. Look, Muscuri, look, begged Abu. What do you see? Muscuri looked, and then she saw them. Eyes of dark gold. Gold because the sun shone into them. Gold because they looked into hers with tears of love and recognition, begging to be found. Gold because each was set in the heart of a marigold. Bring out your silver box, Abu, cried Muscuri joyfully. I found Layla's eyes! He held out the box, and with her paw, Muscuri patted the stem of the flower. First one eye, then the second dropped into the box. Close the lid now, Abu! So he did, and returned the box to his pocket. He knew they must keep going. Two days had nearly gone by, and there was only one day left before the ointment wore off, and he would regain his sight. Can you see a lake? said Abu anxiously. Muscuri replied sullenly, Not more water. Can you, though? Can you see a lake? I see a lake through the trees beyond the next field, flat and still as a mirror, and a boat in the reeds. Holding on to the cord, he followed her low growling as, reluctantly, she headed towards the water, and he was fearful when he heard what she saw. Reflections. Birds and clouds and... Muscuri hesitated. Faces. Human. Faces of young people shimmering, shivering, weeping and pleading just below the surface. On the other side, something shining. Purple. A palace. Although there are reeds and water lilies and all kinds of long grasses and weeping willows with leaves trailing in the water, yet I see no waterfowl, no ducks, or coots, or herons, just their reflections. So this was the dreadful lake that Shasti had spoken of, the lake they must cross the lake where the image-snatcher dwelt. This was their final task. They must take Layla's bones and eyes across the lake and reunite them with her soul, which was locked in the Amethyst Palace on the other side. Muscuri, he called. Where is the boat? She took him to it. Where is the sun? It has two hours left before it sets. Abu groaned. He had wanted to cross the lake at night when there was less chance of casting reflection, 
but he didn't know if he would have enough time left to find Layla before the ointment wore off. He would have to risk crossing when the sun was up. Suddenly, there was a beating of wings. It's a swan, murmured Miss Corey, and he felt her fur stand up under his hand. It must be a stranger looking for a lake on which to swim. Is it flying over the water now? asked Abu fearfully. Yes, yes, Miss Corey watched its grey shadow skimming the surface below. What's happening, Miss Key? he cried desperately. There's a churning in the lake, like a, a whirlpool, like a huge mouth. It's getting bigger. It's... The beating of wings stopped. There was a terrible pause and then a splash, like a gulp. The image snatcher had sucked the swan down into the lake and swallowed it. That could be their fate, too, if they should cast even one scrap of shadow upon the water. But they couldn't give up now. Abu knew they must cross the lake. Point me into the sun, he said, so that I cast no shadow outside of the boat. He took Tabascuri under his arm, pushed the boat out from the shore, and leapt in, carefully stowing Layla's bones under the seat. He fumbled for the oars, one, two, and began to row with all his might, trusting to the warmth of the sun on his face. Horrible groans came from below the lake surface. Things scratched and banged beneath the boat, as if desperate fingers were appealing to him. If he had been able to see, Abu would have longed to lean over and look into the water. The water around him now began to heave as though a storm were churning it up. The boat pitched and tipped. Some force was surely trying to upturn it and toss them into the water. Abu continued to row with all his might. Can you see anything, Muskuri? he called. I see a purple glow in the far shore. It must be the Amethyst Palace. That's where we must go. Abu steered the boat in the direction she described and felt the sun's warmth leave his face. Muskuri howled with fright. I see your shadow. Your reflection is almost in the water. The surface churned. With a hopeless groan, Abu rested the oars and, grabbing Muskuri, pulled her and their shadows down into the bottom of the boat. It's no good. We must wait till nightfall. And suddenly, he was asleep, his head resting on the sack of bones, with the Muskuri curled up on his chest and the boat drifting. It was the sound of the hull scraping the shore that woke him. It had bobbed along all through the night and carried them safely to land. Muskuri, what can you see? asked Abu. We've arrived, Abu. I see the Amethyst Palace. Stay here while I go and find where Layla's spirit is being kept. She sprang from the boat. She padded into the Amethyst Palace and entered amazing chambers of icy purple a ballroom embedded with strands of gold and droplets of diamonds. She climbed transparent staircases, but found nothing. Then she discovered a back staircase. It was a spiral, twisting so that even she, a cat, felt dizzy as she spun downwards as if drilling into the very centre of the earth. At the bottom she found herself in a dark, glowing chamber, 
its walls rough and spiky as needles, then smooth like clusters of blossoms that had somehow petrified. Shades of palest pink deepened into inky purple, and there, hollowed into the very heart of the amethyst chamber, was a purple throne. If only I could sing, thought Muscuri, and awaken Layla from this internal imprisonment. But all she could do was meow, the long, wailing, wait for me, meow, that she had so often used when accompanying her mistress. And then, suddenly, she heard a strange cracking sound, a hammering as if a thousand crystals had been scattered on the floor. Miscuri saw, imprisoned in the raw amethyst, bodies of light, faces like reflections in a mirror. She passed one after another, trying to identify Layla. There! Ahead! A face was pressed to the glassy rock, the mouth open, the lips moving noiselessly. It was framed by shining black hair. It was Layla. Miscuri stood on her hind legs and pawed at the rock, meowing with all her might, begging her mistress to be brave, to be patient, telling her that her brother had come to save her. Then Miscuri leapt away, back up the spiral staircase, to find Abu. He was lying with his face pressed into the sack of bones. Miscuri pattered over and licked his hands. I found her! Abu wouldn't look up. Her, Abu, come, we must hurry. The purple lady could return at any moment. Follow me with Layla's bones. The only way we can break the spell is by reassembling her. Abu! Miscuri scratched him fiercely. My eyes! cried Abu despairingly. In a few hours, my sight will return. The ointment will wear off. If the purple lady finds me, I'm done for. Layla, too, will never escape. Then hurry, silly boy, cried Miss Scurry with exasperation. You must use your own powers of self-control now. You will think of nothing and no one but Layla. And to bring him to his senses, Miss Scurry dug her claws into his arm, drawing blood. Ow! Abu looked up. That's better, she meowed. Put the lead on me and I'll take you to her. She led him up the stairs and through the chambers, then down, down, down the spiral staircase, and finally to his imprisoned sister. You are before your sister. Assemble her bones now, so she can re-enter her body. Abu set down the sack of Layla's bones and spread them out like pieces of a jigsaw. Bit by bit, feeling for each one, he began to assemble them. Piece by piece, seeing her outline in his mind, he laid out the twenty-four vertebrae of her spine, her ribs and neck bones, the bones of her legs and arms, ankles and wrists, her elbow joints and knees and thighs. Next he set out the five sets of finger bones of her right hand, and then the one, two, three, four sets of finger bones of her left. He felt everywhere for the fifth finger, but it wasn't there. Even though he shook out the sack and searched again, he couldn't find it. And then he knew he wouldn't. 
as this was the bone he had left behind. He still couldn't bear to think that even one little finger of hers was still in that dreadful cave. But now he took up her skull and placed it tenderly at the top of her spine. Miscuri walked around her mistress, making strange guttural noises in her throat. Her eyes, Abu! Put in her eyes! Abu groped for the silver box in his pocket and took out the golden eyes. He felt for the sockets in the skull and dropped an eye into each one. Exhausted, he rolled away from the lifeless skeleton and lay there feeling as empty of soul and spirit as the skeleton beside him. The darkness in his eyes turned to purple. Miscuri, my sight is returning! He scrambled over to the transparent wall behind which Layla was held. He took the axe from his belt, brought it down with all his might, and struck the wall. The whole cave shuddered. There was the sound of splitting and splintering like arctic ice thawing in the spring, or a glacier moving in the mountains. Abu felt a rush of air and warmth. There was a swishing sound as spirits flared from their prisons and, like a torrential river, flowed from all the openings of the cave in one long, joyful current. Just one light detached itself from the flow and hovered over them. He couldn't touch it, or hold it, and yet it embraced him. He breathed it and enveloped it. Return to us, Layla, he whispered, crawling over to her skeleton and lying down beside her. The purple darkness behind his eyes faded as slowly, wondrously, his sight returned. A pile of bones, no more as if a sculptor had moulded his clay over a human frame, his sister's body and soul were reunited. He touched her arms and smoothed her brow. Her flesh was warm and alive. He took her hands, perfect, apart from the one missing little finger, while Muscuri circled them, purring fit to burst. Layla opened her dark golden brown eyes and looked at Abu. Then at Muscuri and smiled. But even as he raised his sister to her feet, Abu felt a chill presence. The purple lady had entered the chamber. How dare you enter my domain, she hissed. You will never leave. Squeezing his eyes tightly shut, Abu stood up, slowly uncoiling the rope from his waist. Why would I wish to leave you? he asked sweetly. He sensed the purple lady's defences drop for just a moment, and hurled himself forward as if to embrace her. Instead, he flung the empty sack over her head and bound her tightly. He dragged her down to the lake shore, flung her into the boat, and pushed it out across the lake. The boat rocked violently as the purple lady struggled to free herself. At last she pulled the sack off her head and stood up in the boat, triumphantly. Too late, she realised her danger, for now her reflection fell on the surface of the water. I see you, purple lady, shouted Abu, opening his eyes. There was a terrible churning, 
A black hole opened up and swallowed her shadow, dragging the purple lady with it down into the deadly water. Abu heard one frightful shriek, and then she was gone. He stood there, his eyes open. How wonderful to see you again, he thought. The world looks such a beautiful place. He returned to the mouth of the cave to find Layla still bathed in a purple light, cuddling Muscuri in her arms. Abu, can we go home now? she asked. They stood on the lake shore, but something was happening. The water was draining away, and before their eyes a beautiful garden appeared, with fruit trees and banks of flowers and shrubs. A single heron soared overhead and landed where the lake had been. It paused for a moment, then flapped its wings and flew away again, its shadow passing safely over the land below. The spell was broken. We can walk across, said Abu. So they followed a winding path, edged with wild grasses, fruit trees and beds of flowers, and Muscuri leapt and chased her own shadow, until, ahead of them, they saw the purple gates. They were wide open, and bouncing along the track before them was the bus, with the passengers Abu had met when he first came into the city, the woman in the headscarf, the Sikh, the man reading his newspaper and the old woman he had helped cross the road, leading her daughter by the hand. This time, they didn't hide their eyes, but waved and smiled as the bus headed towards the Cave of Bones. Even from this distance, they saw a bright purple light filling the entrance, and eyes gleaming from trees and flowers and rock, and they could hear their loved ones singing, I am Jasvinda, I am Freddy. I am Fatima, I am Emily, I am Azaria, as if all their loved ones were waiting to be reassembled and reunited with them. Abu, Layla and Muscuri reached the gates and stepped into the swirling throng of people on the other side. Everyone was looking at each other and smiling. I have returned as I promised, said Abu. He had put Layla and Muscuri on the bus home to their village and returned to faraway alley. He climbed the wall, and then the flights of steps that led up to Shasti's door. It was open, and he stepped inside, smelling her sticks of smoking incense and bitter marigolds. We have released Layla, and broken the power of the Purple Lady. Thank you, Shasti. Now, take my eye, as we agreed. Shasti was sitting as he had left her, cross-legged in the lotus position, on her carpet. Kneel before me, boy, she said softly. He did as she asked, and she pressed the palm of her hand over his left eye and murmured some words. Then she took her hand away. You may go now. Abu rose to his feet. He opened his eyes and found that his left eye was blind. He had paid the price. Yet through his one remaining eye, he could see the whole glorious world in all its colours and shapes, its goodness and badness, its invention and creation. As he sat on the bus home, he saw the glory of the cosmos, 
across the fields and woods and open skies, soon he would see the happiness too. Layla was home. A Tell a Tale Pod production. <laughs>